in my comments about Vacation Bible School, I forgot to mention the, uh, the one thing written in font 96. <laughs> Shameful. If some of you could remain after church to help uh, change a few rooms up, move some chairs and tables, that'd be greatly appreciated. Um, many hands make for light work, so um, just a few minutes after church would be great. I'm going to read a few verses out of Isaiah before uh, uh, transitioning into the message. He's blessed me during meditation one night with the Lord. And uh, I think they serve the Lord's table well. This is what he writes in Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. And later on in, in Isaiah, the same chapter, he says this, For as the rain and snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I pursue and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. That is true. Let's pray. Lord, um, bless our time as we meditate on the work of your kingdom as we prepare for the Lord's Supper. Mindful that your son said, unless he eat of my body and drink of my flesh, he has no part with me. Lord, that your son has done all the work that Christ has made a way, has made a path so that we in our unrighteousness can be with you as though we were righteous. Lord, may we remember that as we come to this table. As we eat and as we drink, may we we feast on your word. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, uh, this morning, <clears throat> I'd like to dedicate it to just an, uh, a summary of our trip. And um, it's, a, it's a little bit different. Uh, it, we were not on a missions trip in a conventional way. We'll get there in a second. We were um, sent... Uh, it was a discovery trip. Um, it was a missions discovery trip uh, on behalf of this church to find meaningful ways for us to partner in the region of West Africa. This was the mission that was we adopted it. We were to go and observe mission and ministry in the cities and in the villages uh, in West Africa and to kind of synthesize them uh, in light of our church. And over the weeks to come, we'll... We'll boil it down and, and make recommendations. But this morning, I just wanted to share a little bit about the trip. 
um, things that we observed, larger principles that we observed, and I think you'll, you'll be encouraged. There were five of us. I'm going to assume... I'm assuming you're a guest today. So there were five of us who were sent. Myself, Pastor Jeff in Wilmington, uh, Eric Baylair, Jason Matthews, and Luke Wittenbach. The five of us went. We got along great. Um, and we were often very close to one another. So it was a miracle. There is... Uh, if you want to go to the next slide, um, this is a map of of West Africa. We landed in uh, Ouagadougou. The, right, the arrow on the right points to the capital city of Burkina Faso. So the first week we spent in Burkina Faso. And uh, during that week we traveled down. If you look in the same country, kind of in the 8 o'clock position is another city called Bobo Dioulasso. We call it Bobo. That's what they call it. It's nice. It's fun. We drove down there. It was just about a six-hour six drive to do 200 miles. And uh, then we, after our stay there, we flew to uh, Dakar, Senegal, which is the far left arrow. Dakar is the far western point of Africa, of the continent. It's a, it's a coastal city. Uh, I would characterize as, as far as industry and sociopolitical kind of framework, Senegal is in Burkina Faso are of a different order of magnitude. Senegal is climbing out of third world. So you go there, there's paved roads, there's off-ramps and on-ramps. I couldn't believe we saw an off-ramp. Um, you know, seaside hotels and casinos for many Europeans will vacation into Dakar. And Burkina Faso is not that way at all. There is essentially one paved road and I mean, you could be in, uh, like, Martin Luther King Boulevard in Wilmington would be a dirt road. Major, major Kirkwood Highway would be a dirt road. A highway 41 to Avondale would be a dirt road. Uh, mud, so that when it rains, that city shuts down completely because people motorbike around or bicycle. It's about a 100 to 1 ratio of motorbikes to cars. Only the, only the very wealthy have cars in Burkina Faso. So... Uh, if it rains, it's just in, it's impassable for most people. They're, again, socioeconomically, very, very, uh, we thought different. Burkina Faso had a meekness about it. Um, that, we, that wasn't present in Senegal. But as a people, while they're very different people groups, uh, there were some things in common. They were very friendly, friendly people. And uh, I'll talk a little bit about that. I want to share with you four major observations uh, that uh, impacted us while we were there. This is the first one. We observed that there is a thirst for the gospel. A real thirst for the gospel. They're a very polite and hospitable culture. So if you walk into their village or if you were in their neighborhood in the city and you engaged in conversation with them. Well, for one, it might be 10 minutes before you, five minutes before you get to why you're there. Because they're going to ask, how are you? How are your children? How is your sleep? How is your drive? And you're going to do the same thing back. Um, and, but once they figure out they're there, they're going to invite you in. If you're anywhere near lunch, you're getting lunch. 
And even if they can't afford it, you're getting it. You know? And they're going to sit you down and they're going to they're very, be very kind and respectful to you. And we were told that two or three times. And in my mind, I'm like, yeah, we'll see if that actually happened. It happened. It, it is what they say it is. It is, uh, it's really cool. I'll show you a picture. This is us and eating on the floor in, in, in one of their homes. They, they all, they eat off the floor. Um, I only saw tables in restaurants, but, um, the wife of this family must have left three or four times to go get enough food. Um, she, first she showed with mangoes right off the tree and cut them up for us. And, and uh, eventually bottles of Sprite and Coke showed up because we cannot drink their water. And they know that. We have weak stomachs. So they say. It's true. Uh, the next picture shows it started to rain when we were here. That many people were in that room. They just started piling in. And once you start talking about the things of God, because they're thirsty for the gospel, people, keep, people come. They want to know. They want to know. They know that we've crossed great distances. This is the thing. We've crossed great distances to talk about Jesus. That's attractive to them. Why have they done that? It draws them. You're an oddity. You know, for the most part, our translators, our translators all love the Lord. Our translators spoke the heart language of these people. They were dedicated to serving Christ. In the churches in Burkina Faso, they did not even believe in paying their translators. They thought that was their call to ministry. That's how, how invested many of the translators were. The translators would not only say what you said, but fix what you said, Right? Or they would, they would tell you, this is the time to ask a question. Because sometimes you could go five minutes in silence. You could ask a question and you'd, you know, the, the, the awkward pause in a Sunday school class of five seconds. Multiply that. Make it three minutes. They, they, there's a saying. They say, Americans have watches, but Africans have time. Okay? And so they have time. But there's times when I would, we would ask if the, the translators are in the Lord and know the stories and know the culture and know the language, why are we here? Because we're an oddity. And it matters to them that we would cross great distance in time. That matters. They have receptive hearts towards the things of God. If you tell them I'm a, I'm a man of prayer and I bring stories of God, they're going to listen. They're going to listen as though... And we do because the Word of God is true and powerful, but they will listen as though it's true and powerful. They're not simplistic. They're not simpletons. They're not primitive people. They're highly sophisticated. They are just not cynical about knowability like the West has become. So they'll listen. And they'll listen to a true message, and they'll listen to an untrue message. I'll give you an example. We were in the airport leaving Burkina Faso to come to Senegal. And we went through the first, the, the very first TSA agent you'd see in Philly before you go in the line for bag check. And he looks at our passports and he says to Eric, Eric speaks fluent French and so he was our point man, he made life convenient for us. He, he said to him, why are you here? Why was the reason for your stay? And Eric said, we're men of prayer. We came to share stories of God. He said that in the airport, isn't that awesome? And the, the guard said, I'm a Muslim. 
Would you pray for me? And Eric heard it kind of in a Western sentimentality of, yeah, I'll pray for you. See you later, but I'll keep you in my prayers. And so Eric said, yeah, I'll pray for you. And he walked away, and the guard said, what, are you not going to pray for me? And so we went around him and put our hands on him and prayed for him. Like, in the airport, okay? So then we go through a baggage check, and we're in immigration going through customs, and another guard comes up to us, and Eric's busy, but I can, I'm, by that point, I'm kind of barely can grasp on to what he's trying to say. And he was coming to ask for prayer. He had heard that there were men of God who will pray for you in the airport, and he wondered, could we pray for him also? So will you pray for me? So we pray for him. There's a thirst. And alongside of the thirst, there are other messages that are contending for the hearts of these people. This captures me, right? Because right now, the Middle East is pouring lots of money to build mosques and Islamic schools in these areas. Right now, prosperity gospel is like a virus on the continent of Africa that this neo-Pentecostalism, which is essentially, it messes their animism. The truth is, you know, we could say Senegal's 95% Muslim. You could say that, that Burkina Faso's 75% Muslim. It doesn't matter if you scratch everybody there. Every missionary says scratch them and they bleed animism. They bleed tribal superstition. That's what's really beneath it all. They cloak all that with a religiosity, another form of life insurance. That's what they do. But beneath it is tribal superstition. Like something goes wrong to you, you must have done something wrong. Charms and curses and voodoo and all these things. So they can be Muslim, but barely Muslim. You could ask a Muslim. You could ask a person there, what do you know about Jesus? They'd say Jesus is a great prophet, right? That's what Islam would say. You'd say, what else do you know about Jesus? Nothing. You might even be able to do that about Muhammad with many of them. What is Muhammad? He's a great prophet. A Muslim. What else do you know about Muhammad? You had imams sending their kids to Christian school who got in trouble when their kid went home with a Christmas present. You have, you, I just want you to say all the categories of, that the news would tell you, you've got to do away with all of that. There are people who are searching for God and they're confused and people are contending for their souls. There's Islam contending, there's name it, claim it, prosperity gospel contending, and then there's secular Western culture competing. All of those things are there. I think the gospel should be there as well. In force. That's the first thing we saw, is there's a genuine thirst for, for, for what we have to say. Here's the second thing that I think is worth mentioning. The trip was outside of our comfort zone, but it was not hardship. It was outside of our comfort zone, but it was in within reach of something we could do. We didn't have to climb a mountain. We didn't have to sneak out of the city into the darkness of night. Nobody got stoned. Nobody got yelled at. It, it was the sorts of things, comforts, that you and I can lay down. You, you can, it was a little hot. That's the sort of thing. You had to put on bug spray. The driving, you know, we crammed in the cars, put, you know, your duffel bag on your lap. You know, three guys in the back row, all kind of stinky, and drove for six hours. And that, I call that discomfort. I don't call that hardship. 
I cannot imagine Paul saying, you know, along the line of I've been shipwrecked and stoned and thrown into prison and drove a long way with guys. I just don't see that, right? Though if it was with us, you might have considered. The, the customs are a little bit strange. The land is a little bit strange. These are, these are a little bit uncomfortable. I, I you know, as, as your shepherd and as, you know, the leadership of the church, I... It's within the purview to call us away from comfort, right? But I'm saying that we're doing that, but we're still within the realm of, you can grin and bear it. It was the land of grin and bear it, and pretty soon you're laughing at it. Pretty soon you haven't felt air conditioning in five days, and you do just fine. You get, you're gonna get diarrhea a little bit. We get that in America, okay? Here's a, here's a picture of Kirkwood Highway, that's it. That's how it looks. I mean, that might as well be a Midway Shopping Center right there. Um, I would, f the, the, some of the guys went running. I don't run, uh, but some of them went running in the cities, every city we went to. It's very safe. Here's the sort of things that I get uncomfortable. This is kind of a funny example. Uh, you, you know the Geico goat? Okay, I'll let you hear it in a second. You need to hear it in case you don't know it. Um, well, go ahead and see if you can play this. That's a funny picture. Okay. Okay. You want to talk about a little bit uncomfortable? Like we were in a village sharing and Eric Baylor and a few guys were off on one side and behind Eric was one of these goats. And I don't mean like five feet behind, I mean like here like steaming up his back neck, doing that. It did that like no, they said, they got the car, they're like, no less than 100 times. He said, I I, you know, you don't know the culture, so you're like, he said, if I knew the culture, I would have turned around and strangled that thing, like just choked it out. Those are the sorts of things you're gonna experience, are bizarre things. So, meanwhile, I thought I was having a serious hardship. At the very same moment, on the other side of the village, there was a caterpillar that nearly climbed on my shoe. I'm thinking, whew made it out. Meanwhile, this is happening to Eric. All right, I'm saying it because the whole time we were saying, we can do this. You hear it? We can do this. This, these trip, missions trips are not for everyone, okay? I'm not under the mindset that everyone's going to go. I'm not trying to gun that everyone would go, but anyone could go. Anyone could go, old and young. IMB missionaries say, yeah, we have people into their 80s coming. In fact, if you're old, if you have gray hair, you are esteemed. The average age, I think I heard, in this area of Africa is 29 years old. Elders are respected. In addition, because of that, and there is, because of some Western culture influences, there's a bit of a schism. And so the young people, if you go, if, if, you're, if you're a college student, you are highly relevant in this culture. Highly relevant. A mature youth member would be highly relevant. Men or women, highly relevant to village life. Village life during the day is generally kind of divided by gender. The young men are working in the fields. The, uh, beneath the trees, beneath the village, you know, usually there's a compound, kind of several homes that group around a tree or two, and they'll sit under the shade of the tree, 
And the wives and moms and kids will kind of spend their day there doing kind of the internal work of the village. And with them will be some of the older elder men who can no longer do the hard labor, the, the retired. <laughs> they sit in their, their chair and they kind of grandfather the, the, the crowd. And so there's places where women could share and men could share and then there's times they come together. It's highly structured, highly intact culture. It's, in many ways, it's admirable. And, uh, and it would welcome you. You'd walk in and you'd say, these are families that love one another. These are husbands and wives that care for one another. You'd say those things. It's not for everyone, but it is for anyone. If you want to know, like, can, can I go, I don't know if I could go, I'd say this, be humble, right? This is what you need to be able to go. You need to be humble. You need to be a learner. You're not ready to go tell Africa what it needs to do, right? Go and be a learner and listen and realize the only thing you have that is of unchanging universal value is the Word of God. It's the only thing you have. So go willing and ready to talk about that and listen. That, if you can teach six-year-olds in kids' church, you know more of the Bible than 99% of these people. Anyone can do it. But it is not for everyone. I just want to encourage you, if you're sitting there going, I don't know, you know, they could have gotten eaten by a lion. No. Okay, number three. We uh, just want to encourage you that when you're there, you realize God has gone before us, God is with us, and God will remain after us. We were not the first person on the shore bringing the message of God. God loves those people and has always loved those people and has been working to bring the message to them, and it was there when we arrived. And so we find that God's waiting for us, which is such an encouragement. And then you find in your experiences God is with you. Just, you will know that. You will know that. And, and your prayers and the prayers of the church can be felt. All of those things are there. We went into a village. We were among a people group. I, I journaled about this briefly. About 400,000 person people group. We were told there were 12 known Christians among that people group. So we were going to go to a village and we were told nobody here will know anything about Jesus. So we arrived. Jason and I were in a group that day. And we sat down under the tree with uh, those who were there. And our IMB missionary uh, asked a few questions once we got through um, the greetings about, you know, what do you, what do you know about Jesus? And one of the men said, Jesus is the Savior of the world. And everybody nodded. And you're like, oh, well, well, let's dig a little deeper here. Well, who is he? He's the Son of God. He saved me from my sins and he lives in my heart. And the other man goes, me too. The woman, yeah, yeah, same with me. I got baptized. And now you're like, I mean, now our IMB missionary is taking notes. Like, we had no idea this existed. And so we dig a little farther, and they say, not only do they give the affirmative of the gospel, but they go, yeah, we built the church right behind you. And you turn around, and the nicest building in the compound is the church. And you dig a little farther, and they're like, yeah, and we have the kids from the nearby villages come one day a week, and we teach them Bible stories. 
And you dig a little farther and they say, yeah, we meet Wednesday nights and Friday nights for prayer and we meet on Sunday for worship. And you dig a little farther and they go, we built our own baptistry behind that building because we didn't like to walk out to the, drive out to the sea. And you dig a little farther and you find there had been a missionary who had come who had spent his life with them, whom they loved and had shared the gospel with them faithfully because God has gone before us and had got a convert, a young man, the son of the man who confessed Christ initially to us. And between the ministry of that missionary and the faithfulness of the son and his witness to Christ, his entire extended family had come to Jesus. And then behind it, right? So God is, is I mean, Jason and I said two translated sentences in three hours. We were just like, we have nothing to say here. We're going to just sit back and worship about what God has done. And then they showed us all these certain these technologies they have. They have this thing you wind up and you can hear the whole New Testament on it. You have, they have SD cards in their phones with lessons of the Bible from converted Muslims who've gone through the Bible book by book and said, here's what you need to know. And they're good lessons translated into their heart language on SD cards that missionaries give them. So that it's not like they just got five Bible stories and they keep reiterating the five stories. They know the Bible in this village and they teach the Bible. God has gone before us. We were so encouraged by the quality of our missionaries. I got to tell you, I'm the biggest fan of Lottie Moon now. You know, we have this missionary offering. Some of you are like, who's Lottie Moon? Our denomination gives a special gift in December. There are devoted men and women of God, devoted men and women of God, who have not given anything up to go there. They are where God has placed them. So they have not sacrificed one bit because they consider pure joy to be there. And they're not retreating and they're not packing their bags. They are advancing in the kingdom. They're being thoughtful and innovative. We had one, young la one lady, she was an IMB missionary, but she's a logistics. She's the one who handles all the logistics of people coming in and out, right? Sounds pretty boring. So she's made a ministry. She goes down into truck stops because truckers in Burkina Faso are kind of underrated, looked down upon people. AIDS has been spread through them. A lot of, they don't, they're not home with their families. They're just, they're just kind of down. And she goes to the truck stops and says, I'm a, I'm a woman of prayer and I bring stories of God. And she gives them a card and says, if you're anywhere on the road, call me and I'll pray for you. And they do. That is a logistics missionary. I mean, that's missionary support. But she's driven by the gospel to reach these people. God is before us. He is with us. And he's there when we leave, right? We have, there's missionaries and, and small churches that are interested to partner. I just want to, we were very encouraged by that. One big gaping hole in this plan was what happens when we leave? How can we as a church do anything of significance and then we leave? You know, if you, if you do it three, four times a year and you do that for five years, well, what happens? Well, while I, in every instance I can't tell you the answer, I can tell you God has gone before us, he's with us, and he'll come in behind us. So we can find that answer. Okay, the last, my last thought. God's word shall not return empty. That's what we saw. God's word will not return empty. It has power. We know it has power in our own lives. It is every bit as powerful there. This is what we were told uh, would happen, and it, in fact, then we did it. 
We were told we're going to go to a village. We're going to say we're people of God. We bring stories, uh, stories of his word. They're going to say, well, we want to hear these stories. And you're going to sit down. All of this happened regularly. This was our experience. And then you, through the conversation, <clears throat> there will be the need for a story. Now, the missionaries often equip themselves preemptively with stories that kind of fit niche concerns of the peoples they're trying to care for. So one would be the story of uh, the demon-possessed man and Mark that Jesus casts out and he goes into the pigs. You may be familiar with that story. They all, they, you're going to want to know that story, they say, because, because of the animism and because of the spirituality of the area, they all want to know how powerful, in fact, is he? And who is this man called Jesus? And the story tells it. In fact, the story tells who Jesus is out of the mouth of the demon. Jesus walks into the village, and the demonic-possessed man rushes up to Jesus, and he says, Why have you come to torment me, son of the Most High God? See, the identity of Christ is in that story. And then his power is displayed. And so they come in with that story, and they'll tell it, and then they ask questions. What do you like about the story? What do you not like about the story? What does the story say about the nature of God? What does the story say about the nature of man? Who are you going to tell the story to? They are oral listeners. They're largely illiterate, but they retain stories. So they will likely hear your story and retain it better than you could. Um, that's, that's how they learn. They've gone to villages before where the stories that they were telling had beat them there. You're saying, well, I don't know stories or I can't memorize. You know, you could memorize all... 99 stories in the Bible, and the one you're going to feel led to tell is the one you didn't memorize. So don't let, that, don't let that discourage you. You study the Word and you prepare, and God blesses you. But you're going to find yourself saying, "There's some, I, I know the story I want to tell, but I don't know all of it. What you do, we ask, and this is what happens. You do the best you can. And the person who's not there, because you go in with you know, a translator and a friend, the person who's not talking prays. That's the job. The person who talks, talks. The person who doesn't, prays. And you leave it to the Lord because the Lord cares about those people. They know so little Bible. So little. I'll close with a story. We were, uh, one of our last days, we were uh, Jason and I were together and we had just come away from visiting with five Muslim men all in their Muslim garb. Incidentally, when we, when we told the story of the good shepherd, they were commenting on a guy, a man sh shepherding and so, and one of the men said to me as a pastor, he says, oh, you're like a shepherd. So we said, well, we know. There's a story in the Bible about Jesus. The Bible says he's a great shepherd and he knows his sheep and his sheep know him. And he would leave the 99 to find the one. So we're saying, what does this say about Jesus? And we're going through that. Well, we're leaving that conversation and we're walking and the man who was the good shepherd that they had looked on was resting under a tree. And uh, we walked up to him and, and he greeted us and we greeted him and, and he said, you know, what are you doing? So there's the door, right? Tell me, tell me why you're here. So we're discussing and, and he was a, he, you know, it doesn't matter what language, you can see a good man when you know it. He's, I mean, he's just, he was gentle, and kids just kind of gathered around him. They sat on the tree next to him, and 
he would say to him, shh, 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 listen. Our translator told us that later, that he gathered. He would, people would walk by and he'd say, come over here, you need to listen to this. By the end, we had 28 people there. But at one point, the man says to us, because we told a story or two, we, we started off with the prodigal sons, Jason told that, and then another story, and we'd gone through some stories. And he, he said, why would you come to us? In the sense of, why would you leave America, come all this way to tell us this? And it hit me as a really good question. Not that I didn't know the, some kind of answer, I just had nothing to say. And Jason says, well, I have a story from God's word. Can I tell it to you? He said, yeah. And Jason, Second Kings chapter 7, okay? God is mysterious. It says there was a city that had been besieged by a great enemy. And they were starving the city to death. There was a great famine inside the walls of the city and people had nothing to eat and they were dying and perishing because the army had encamped around them and there was no way out. And there were four lepers sitting at the gates of the city who said to themselves, well, if we go into the city, we will surely die. And if we sit here, we will surely die. Come, let us go out to the camp of the enemy because the worst that can happen is we'll die, but maybe they'll feed us. So they set out for the encamped enemy, and when they got there, there was no enemy in the camp. They had fled, and they had left all of their possessions behind. The tents and the food and the clothes were all there, left behind, because the Lord had visited the enemy late in the evening with the sounds of chariots and of rushing armies, and had scared them off, so they fled and left everything behind. So the lepers dove into the, the wealth, and they stuffed their bellies full of food, and they stuffed their pockets full of gold and put linens, and they went and hid the stuff, and they came back to the next tent, and they were doing the same thing when the conscience was pricked upon one of the lepers, and he said, it's not right that we do this. When our, sister, our city is starving, come, let's go. Let's tell them what we've found. And Jason said, that's why we're here. He said, we have been, we have a great enemy, and that enemy is death. And he has surrounded us, but we have victory in Christ, and we've come to tell you of the wealth of Jesus Christ. This is a story from God's Word. Let's pray. Lord, even as we sit before this table, um, we recognize that we were once surrounded by death impoverished and leprous in our spirit. Lord, and you destroyed death and you, you've given us the food of eternal life. Lord, you've nourished us with food. Lord, you even here, you, 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 your body and your blood are shown to be our nourishment, Lord. So, Lord, for ourselves, in our own perspective, we approach you now, remembering that we were once in great distress. And, Father, we, we share this meal as a fellowship now, mindful that there are others, many, many people, who do not know that outside of the gates of their city is freedom. Lord, make us righteous and holy in your sight as we pursue your will. We pray this in Jesus' name.